0: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today for the eighth episode of Ulcerative Colitis and My J-Pouch Journey, where we talk about ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, bowel cancer, ostomies, and J-Pouches. Today, Chris from Calgary, Canada is joining me to tell us about his journey and how he is managing with his new J-Pouch and his journey to return to his chosen profession as a pilot. For those of you who have been following from the beginning, thank you. For those of you who are joining us for the first time today, please help us to continue the conversation by hitting that subscribe button and sharing us on your social media. Let's continue the conversation about gastrointestinal diseases and to support one another through our seldom talked about journeys. Today I have with me Chris from Calgary. He is here to tell us a little bit about his journey with ulcerative colitis, is that correct?
1: Yeah, hello and thanks for having me. Yeah, ulcerative colitis is the reason for my ostomy. I've had a two-step surgery, that's the preferred method here in Canada. I know that you can have a three-step process as well. I had the two-step temporary ileostomy with a J-pouch creation and then 16 weeks later I had the reversal where they got rid of the temporary ileostomy and connected up the J-pouch and I've had the J-pouch for the last two years. So September 2020 was the, the initial surgery, and then January the 11th 2021 was the takedown surgery. So I kind of had my second year J pouch anniversary just uh, just a couple of weeks ago.
0: Okay, and when did you get diagnosed with colitis?
1: That's a bit of a longer story. It started around about 2013. I started to notice some issues with bowel-related stuff. This was when I was still living back in the UK. There's a history of bowel cancer-related bowel issues, specifically in my mother's side of the family. So I went to a gastroenterologist in the UK and, and started this process, but I didn't move to Canada too soon after that, in 2014. So really, it was more of then a gradual noticing more and more bowel issues, more and more fair flare-ups, a bit more time off work with bowel-related issues that prompted me to go and see a GI in, in Canada as well. The initial diagnosis was IBS because the issues that were was having didn't necessarily marry up well with ulcerative colitis. The initial colonoscopy didn't show any signs of uh, ulcerative colitis. And so I thought it was a stress-related IBS because of the nature of the work that I was doing, an airline pilot by trade. So I had to leave my job in the UK as an airline pilot, um, get a qualification over here, um, start work in a, in a very different working environment to that that I was used to in the UK. So set the scene a little bit with that. The industry here was very much uh, be away for three or four or five days, home for for one day, two days, and then a period of four or five days at home before then being away five days. So we just moved to Canada with two young kids. My daughter was seven when we moved and my son was nine. My wife starting a new job. There was a lot of stress associated with that. Um, And so the IBS was put down quite understandably, in my opinion, to stress. We tried some diets and bits and pieces and nothing seemed to help. And things started to get worse and worse, more time off work, longer periods of time off work, all through 2016, 2017. I ended up seeing another um, doctor outside of natural medicine, or sorry, outside of modern medicine. His company name was called Unwind the Belly, and he did visceral manipulation, so massaging of the internal organs. And I found that helped a a huge amount. I could go in and see him during a flare, and the day after I'd see him, everything would calm down again. So he was kind of a, a bit of a miracle worker for a while. And that might have been masking some of the symptoms, some of the signs of ulcerative colitis, because as I said, I kept on going in for colonoscopies, kept on having issues, but there was no, no evidence of ulcerative colitis. So I was a bit of an enigma for the gastroenterologist that I was seeing because the symptoms didn't fit IBS, the symptoms didn't fit ulcerative colitis, but decided to put the pin in IBS because there was really the, the most sensible thing to look at. And things kind of came to a head. 2019 started to a bit worse at the beginning of 2019. The GI that I was seeing was was a bit fed up of not really knowing what was happening. And so uh, told me the next time I was mid-flare to phone her and shoehorn me in to get a colonoscopy done mid-flare. And that worked because that then did show uh, indications of mild uh, ulcerative colitis. And so at least we now knew what was going on. So we went on to the five ASA drugs and monitored things. I don't think that necessarily the summer of 2019 was very good from an ulcerative colitis point of view, although I was still at work. I was taking a bit of time off here and there, but things within my body had progressed to a point where Towards the end of, two, well, November of 2019, I, I had to go back in again for another colonoscopy, where it was discovered that my entire colon was now uh, completely inflamed and it was total colitis or severe ulcerative colitis. Unbeknownst to myself at the time, I wouldn't I wouldn't return to work from that because things just got worse and worse. It progressed to a point where end of 2019, beginning of 2020, the inflammation was uh, that they put me onto prednisone to try to get the flare under control, as um, I'm sure it's the same in the States, but here they're going to prescribe you. Logic Canada, they test you for tuberculosis first. So
0: if they're going to put you in a biologic, they test you for tuberculosis because sometimes it can mimic tuberculosis, correct? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah, I was was, was mistaken there. Yeah. Because they were thinking I was going to go onto a biologic, they wanted to test for tuberculosis. But because I tested positive, I, at some point, somewhere in my travels, I'd come across somebody with tuberculosis. And so I was now carrying the gene or whatever it is inside me, the virus, and they had to shut that down. So they put me onto a, on a drug called rifampin, which does a very good job of clamping down and isolating and imprisoning the tuberculosis virus. But in the process, the drug rifampin halves the effects of any other medication that you're on. So... Whilst they were trying to treat me with the prednisone to keep the inflammation under control, the rifampin was halving the effect of that prednisone. The prednisone wasn't really working anyway, and I was I had a, a big issue with anal fissures at the time. Don't recommend one of those with ulcerative colitis. I was having 20 to 30 bowel movements a day with a fissure was not a pleasant experience. And ultimately, they they to try and get this inflammation under control, they put me into hospital. For eight days in march of of 2020 which is just when covid was starting to get really serious around the world and i I think by that time i was on 180 milligrams of prednisone twice a day which is just a ridiculously high amount of prednisone to be uh, given but that with the effect of the rifampin halving the effect of the prednisone it was what they deemed acceptable and there was a little bit of improvement, but not a huge amount, but because COVID was uh, was ramping up, the hospitals were ramping up to start to receive COVID patients. So I kind of got kicked out of hospital because of COVID and started down a road with various biologics, uh, Zaljans, Tofacitinab. Oh, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of some of the other biologics that they use remicade i think we tried and what's the what's the one that they they normally try for humera humera yep tried humera but all of them i you know having taken the took the loading doses nothing really seemed to help the new gastroenterologist i was with wanted to be quite aggressive so as soon as one biologic didn't seem to be working we'd move on to another one and by the end we were we would say i was taking two biologics at the same time um, to see if that would help but by september of 2020, the writing was on the wall. The friend own certainly hadn't helped. The biologics hadn't helped. And so surgery was the logical conclusion or the logical option, really. And so he was given the option of a three or a two-stage procedure. But as I said, in Canada, they prefer the two-stage procedure. Um, and that, that was kind of that, unfortunately.
0: So you had your surgery two years ago and you were able to go back to work after that?
1: No, I took a day off work in November of 2019 to get my colonoscopy done, albeit I wasn't feeling well at the time, so there was no expectation that I was really going to go back necessarily the next day. I was thinking of taking a couple of days off work, but things just progressed and it got worse and worse, and from November 2019 till last week, I was off work. So complicated by the nature of the work of an airline pilot in so much that you know, I fatigue is an issue, for sure. I found that to be an issue that I've struggled with since I've had the surgery, along with, you know, hydration obviously being a, being an issue as well. And hydration and uh, fatigue are linked to each other. And the nature of being an airline pilot is fatigue. That's just the, it's the nature of the job. The airline industry is grueling on its pilots. Long-haul pilots are, are dealing with lots of time change, time zone changes and jet lag. Whereas short haul pilots, which is the type of flying that I was doing within Canada, are lots of long multi-sector days. So you might do four or five, six different flights in a day. You might work for 12 hours, have nine or 10 hours rest, and then do another 12 hours, 13 hour a day. And they can do that for five, six days on a row. So the nature of the job is fatiguing as well. And one of the things you don't necessarily want as a passenger is a fatigued airline pilot. Um, no you do not (laughs) so that was one of the issues exactly one of the other issues i've suffered with is the dreaded butt burn one of the main things i've found to help that is a a bidet a, a bidet fitted to my washroom here at home but i also carry with me a portable bidet which is fantastic for when you're out and about but unfortunately the plane that i fly on doesn't actually have any running water the fatigue issue the hydration issue the lack of running water Hygiene issue on the aircraft meant that really returning to work, there was a lot of obstacles to it. Started last Monday on a part-time basis and struggling along to, to see how that's now going to work out. For me personally, it was a struggle to not to necessarily leave work, but to stop work through no choice of my own. I struggled with, with that identity piece of going through the short-term disability, then long-term disability, being really quite ill and been forced to stop work. I found that really quite challenging to try to find uh, an identity. I've, I have changed careers before, so I know what change of career feels like when you choose it, um, and it's it's your choice, so that's a bit of an easier mental leap to take. When I found being forced out of a, of a job, I found that to be quite challenging from a, a mental health point of view, and I got quite down as a result of that. But I found being part of the Ostomy Society of Canada, and specifically the Calgary Ostomy Society, helped in being able to talk to other people and know that there are other people out there going through what you're going through and sharing their experiences and whatnot. At some point, I don't know when, I obviously became happy with being off work because I now find that I am struggling with going back to work, reigniting that identity with now being back at work with a disability, seeing your colleagues moved on, being promoted, going to other areas within the company. And kind of being stuck back or even you know a bit further back than where I was when I left the company three years ago now I know a lot has happened I know that obviously COVID has happened and I know that there have been some really challenging travel periods within the aviation industry over the last three years so I fully appreciate that many other people have also struggled and many other people have had their careers interrupted and put back and, and whatnot but Ultimately, I find I can only speak for myself, and that's where I find myself. Now, it's an interesting transition, but not necessarily uh, an easy transition.
0: Are they willing, or have they decided to accommodate you in any way, so that you're not doing the grueling five days away and and?
1: I am, um, yeah, I'm very, very lucky in so much that prior to going off work, I was actually one of a better way of putting it a management pilot. So I I spent quite a lot of the time in. Office. I would create ground schools for pilots. I would create and follow up on reports for the the safety aspect, the safety side of the company. There were various committees that I was uh, part of. I was a, a what's called a an approved check pilot, so I was an examiner. So I would examine our pilot in the simulator to ensure that they were current and able to fly our aircraft. So a lot of the work that I did wasn't necessarily in the air. But in order to do that work, you needed to be a qualified pilot and you needed to stay current by flying once every three months or so. The company I work for, and it's an airline called WestJet and specifically WestJet Encore, they've been fantastic. I can't speak highly enough of them from that point of view in so much that at no point have I ever felt any pressure from them. My managers, supervisors have been awesome in, look, you tell us what you need. We can facilitate that, obviously, from a short-term disability, long-term disability point of view, there are laws and protections which are in place, so they have to be supportive. But throughout this three-year journey, I've been in contact with a couple of my bosses and they're just, when you're ready to come back, you come back, you tell us how long, when you need to work, what you need to work. You know, the support from them has been absolutely fantastic. And that's definitely helped in that transition piece, knowing that I don't have to go back and do this, I don't have to go back and do that. When I'm ready to go back, between us, we can work out what's going to be the best fit. And, you know, having now started, they have stayed true to that, which is fantastic. I had a a chat with them when I started on Monday and they were like, yeah, what do you want to do? Or these are are ideas that we've got, do they sound correct? And I'm very lucky to be in that position.
0: I feel that that is huge, though, because I'm in a situation where I have not been very well supported by the company that i worked for really it's like hanging yeah. my head against the wall and to find an accommodation has been next to impossible so i'm yeah. i'm happy to hear that they're working with yeah. you to get you back to work
1: yeah absolutely obviously in a bizarre way covid has helped in so much that i can work from home and because a year ago everybody was working from home that the understanding the processes in place to work from home are uh, are much improved as to where they were certainly before I left work and so there's no expectation for me to go into the office I will choose to go in probably once a week just for that contact but the rest of the time I can work from home so yeah I am to appreciate and I'm sorry to hear that you're you're not having that same experience because that certainly makes that transition easier for sure yeah
0: Yes. So you said you're going back to work this week?
1: Uh, Yeah. So I go back doing the same stuff that I was doing, albeit a little bit more tailored to my particular situation, I guess, for one of a better way of putting it. So it's not flying. I won't be able to get back uh, into a plane, certainly until I get my aviation medical back, which I've had the medical done. I'm now just waiting for Transport Canada medical examiner's office to approve my medical there are plenty of pilots with ostomies colostomies not so many pilots with ileostomies and and, and even fewer pilots with j pouches so but that being said there are pilots out there flying with j pouches so it's not that i i won't get my medical back it's just hopefully transport canada will deem my particular case to be worthy of getting my class one medical back And then I need to be at a point where I can work full time because I will have to go and do another ground school. So another three months of training in order to be able to fly the aircraft again, just purely as a product of me being off work for so long. I haven't flown the plane for so long that I'll need to go back and do a full training event. And that needs to be, uh, that's full time. You know, that's just the way it is. So at the moment, uh, it's going to be office-based. I hope to get back to flying. I think for my mental health, I think it would be good for the community as a whole to have somebody out there with another successful story that's been able to get back into the industry or the career that they first started off initially doing lucky that i can do the office stuff and lucky that i have the, a, a bit of knowledge and history of doing that so i've been able to fall back onto that uh, that part of it hopefully i'll get back to flying at some point but at the moment i've gone back to work on a part-time basis so at the moment it's 3 days 3 half days a week for 4 weeks and then four half days a week for four weeks, and then five half days a week for four weeks. And it's just purely to see how the fatigue is going. Invariably need, you know, one if not two naps during the day. I, I find it hard to sleep at night, none of which are conducive to flying aircraft, unfortunately, and the kind of shifts and patterns that, uh, that pilots normally uh, that normally follow. So uh, or it's a possibility, it's a dream to get back to flying, but there are certainly some hurdles to get over in the meantime.
0: Do you find it hard to sleep at night because your J pouch is active at night or you just have a hard time sleeping?
1: I've never been a a great one to sleep early and certainly the lack of melatonin is now not being produced by the J, by the the lack of the colon. I find going to sleep challenging so normally we'll get to sleep sometime between about two and three in the morning and then I'll wake up around six-ish to empty my J pouch and by that time my wife's getting up for work and the kids are then got to be up for school and so if I get three, four, five hours of sleep a night, that's kind of where I'm at. So it's not ideal situation for having a, a J pouch anyway to not have much sleep, and then compound that with the issues of not having a colon and then needing to you know nap a couple of times during the day. It's just kind of where I'm at at the moment. Yeah.
0: So you struggle with quite a bit of just general fatigue from having a J pouch and not necessarily from. I think yeah. I feel like a a lot of us struggle with that fatigue. I think it's even, even though they've removed the body part that is causing us our major issues, we still have an autoimmune disease that affects the rest of our body.
1: Right. And yeah, absolutely. And my understanding is that, you know, the the small intestine absorbs the minerals and the nutrients and the large intestine, unfortunately, is where the carbohydrates, the long-term energy was stored, the that's where the hydration would, would be stored and, and used throughout the day. So for me, I, I have trouble sleeping and then, you know, I'm not sleeping enough. And then you don't then have those reserves. Other people are then able to rely on during the day to get you through the day. But I can wake up tired, which is a bizarre wake up exhausted. And that just yes. is that sometimes it's just the way it is.
0: Yes. I also deal with quite a bit of fatigue. I don't know how it is for you and your day pouch. Are you still in the washroom quite often during the
1: day? Yeah, eight to ten times a day. So it's been pretty consistent, actually, since I had my surgery. The surgeon that I had, he said that when I had my temporary ileostomy, he was saying, how many times do you empty the ostomy bag every day. And I was like, oh, maybe seven, eight, nine times. And he goes, that's probably around about the number of times that you're going to empty your J pouch as well. Okay. doesn't necessarily correlate, but in his experience of doing this anecdotal evidence with his patients, that's what, what you can expect. He said, however, what we're hoping for, and from him, his mark of a successful J pouch is four to six bowel movements a day, emptying the J pouch a day. So that's what I was hoping for. But pretty much since day one, it's been around eight to 12 times a day has probably depending on how much I've had to drink, how much I've had, what type of food I've eaten, the stress levels that definitely helps. Again, um, I uh, more, the more stressed I am, the more times I'll see my J pouch. That's just the, the way it is. So hope early on that it would reduce from, you know, 10 times to eight times to six times to maybe four times a day. But it's just never transpired that way, unfortunately.
0: I'm also in the washroom still, and I've had my J-Pouch for 17 years about 8 to 15 times a day.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And with a lot of other people that I've chatted with, it seems to be the norm. Do you take anything during the day to decrease your bathroom visits, like Lomotil? Uh, I've tried.
1: So quite early on, I tried the, the Metamucil and going down that kind of road i found that it uh it did reduce the the amount of bowel movements i was having and the visits to the washroom each day but it ramped the butt burn up by factor of 10 like it was just so painful to not just go to the washroom but then post bathroom activities was just so so sore so it was like well i'm actually i'm more comfortable going to the washroom 10 times a day than i am going maybe 6 or 7 times a day and dealing with hours and hours of butt burn it's like this is this isn't a good comp it's not a good compromise so i gave that up um i've tried pectin so fruit like a fruit i think you get it from the the skin of the fruit that's something that a, a gi uh, recommended to me and i found uh, that didn't really do a huge amount to be quite fair i'm trying lomatol at the moment and i found that that It's maybe reduced my number of bathroom visits by one or two, maybe down from 10 to eight times a day. But it leaves me feeling like I permanently need to empty my J pouch. It feels like there's something almost squeezing on what's left of any intestines that I have. And it just leaves me feeling quite uncomfortable. It's not painful or anything like that. It's just an uncomfortable, constant feeling of uncomfortableness. So I think I'm going to stop taking that. And then I think the next thing that the doctor wants to try me on is a painkiller. I
0: tried the Lomotil as as well and was just talking with somebody this morning and a couple of days ago about that exact feeling you're talking about. I can't do the Lomotil because it makes me feel worse than if I'm in the washroom during the day. It's very interesting to to see that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's a weird, I find it very strange. In England, we've got like discombobulating kind of feeling yeah. of oh, well I've just been to the washroom but I need to go to the washroom but I don't feel like I need to go to the washroom but it feels like something's putting pressure on yeah it's very uh very strange so the surgeon prescribed Tylenol 3 which worked really well at night to stop me going to the washroom at night but they don't recommend you take that for longer than a month or two and for the life of me I can't remember what the other it's, I, Tylenol caffeine I can't remember what else the other or no, drug that is in Tylenol 3 but anyway, that's, that, they'll, they'll give that codeine. Thank There's you. Codeine, that, that's yeah. what I was looking for.
0: The worry, I think, with codeine as well is that it can cause constipation. And to be honest, I don't know how it would be without a colon, whether it would be the same impact.
1: I've not heard much about people taking codeine, so I'm, I'm not sure. I'm also not sure if that would impact the operating heavy machinery side of things because if you're on Tylenol 3 they say you don't operate heavy machinery like driving or flying planes or whatever so whether that would have a, an impact in the future I'm not too sure so from a, a mental health point of view it, I failed so many medicines now I've prednisone didn't work the biologics haven't worked Medimusal hasn't worked pectin hasn't worked Glomatol hasn't worked internally my own expectation is fairly low for these things to work so I don't I don't know if that is having a, a negative influence when I take them because I'm expecting them to fail or if it's just unfortunately for some reason I have a system which these things don't help a huge amount there's been an awful lot of things in the last three or four years that have we've tried gone out on the limb changed lifestyles changed habits in order to see if there's any kind of help and they've all gone by the wayside one after the other unfortunately so yeah we'll uh, we'll see if we'll see if coding works
0: right i do have to say that i didn't feel wonderful with my j pouch for probably two and a half years after i had my surgery and then i felt well enough interesting yeah i felt well enough by the time i was 39 to actually go to nursing school at 39 years right. old after having my surgery yeah. And then it seemed to be once I started nursing that my health started to fail again. It was just, and I feel like it had a lot to do with, you know, whether I got enough sleep at night, I'm generally in the washroom two to four times every night I'm awoken from my sleep and in the washroom. And so then I had to be awake by six 30. So my J pouch could do its thing. So I could be out of the house by eight 30. And then um, so, now that I'm not currently working, I feel that I have more energy. I'm able to get that sleep in the morning if I don't get it in the middle of the night. My J pouch definitely is less angry and my body feels healthier. However, two years out of surgery, there there was no chance that I would have been able to work full time. So give yourself some grace. Be kind to yourself as yeah. you will get there. I feel like you will get there. It's yeah. just... Your body's been through so much, and just getting used to a J pouch is a lot. It's a lot to get yeah, you. To and that. I feel
1: even just being back at work part time for a week, the anxiety of thinking, well, when I wasn't working, if I didn't sleep at night, I could have a nap in the morning. I could take the kids to school, come home, have a nap, take the dog for a walk. Now going to work, it's like, well, I can't do that. And so I feel like there's a level of anxiety which bizarrely the night before means I means I don't sleep <laughs> very well because' yes. there's all, all of a sudden there's uh, I find there's this pressure back on me to try to uh, you know to try to make sure you're working again, even though it's only four hours, even though it's from home. But still there's you no know, there are those inbuilt anxieties and pressures that you put on yourself that going back to work implies. And so I am hopeful for the future. The fact that I wasn't working takes that concern of the brain fog the equation a little bit because maybe you're not at work the stuff that you do at home becomes routine and, and normal um, and so it'll be interesting as I go back to work more and more whether or not I start to notice it more and more but certainly at the, at the beginning for the first four or five months it was uh, it was noticeable kind of just stand around wondering what have, what have I just done how have I got here? or why did I just do that or what's going on yeah so absolutely yeah the brain fog was a noticeable real thing.
0: Well it would be interesting to follow you a little bit through your journey back to work if you're interested in that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm open to all things I'd have never considered doing a podcast before this. I'd have never have considered writing an article before any of this. So the the more life orientated side of things is perhaps not covered so well by the doctors and the surgeons and the nurses and whatnot. So all lots of things that I would never have considered i've started and done in the last couple of years so yeah why not if you want to follow me then absolutely please do yeah yeah yes, no I I,
0: I I think that would be uh very interesting and just i guess i'm going through a little bit of that myself only it sounds like you're being a little bit better supported through it right i also yeah. would have never have considered doing a podcast however i only joined the j pouch group I would say four months ago because I was so tired of trying to explain to my employers how I feel and what life is like with right. a J poach. And I thought, am I crazy? Am I the only person in this world with a J poach who feels the way I do? Yeah. Learning that there are a lot of us that have very, very similar struggles yeah. with employment with day to day, with the number of times we're in the washroom every day, with sleepless nights at times with decreasing our social outings. I find that there are social events that I don't go to simply because I don't know if there's going to be a washroom there. Everything revolves around eating these days. And you're just right.
1: Yeah, um, it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there is a lot involved that I feel people don't really understand. Yeah, there's having Crohn's and colitis and people kind of understand that. But Having a J pouch is something I think even a lot of our medical professionals don't understand.
1: I think I've been lucky in so much that the first doctor that I had, like family doctor, although she didn't really know much about J pouches, was very willing to listen and was very willing to learn with me as I went along. And unfortunately, she she moved to start a practice over in the state and my my new family doctor has had somebody with a J pouch before, so she knows an, uh, about them as well. So that's very very beneficial. But I've definitely heard a lot of people who've you know come across people within the medical industry who don't know what a J pouch is or don't understand the ins and outs of what their the shortcomings are of having a J pouch or anything like that. So. The whole issue of, of an illness, which revolves around bodily functions and being in the washroom, I find a lot of people can be quite um, put off by that. They don't really want to know about bowel habits. They don't really want to talk about the inner workings of a rectum or sphincter muscles or anything that we get uh, we get used to talking about on a fairly regular basis. And so that can be kind of a barrier for some people as well. I talk yeah, to everybody um,
0: about it now. Everybody who yeah. will- <laughs> knows I don't have a colon and they know what a J pouch is I have I I even the other day sent an email to my best friend I've had since grade 2 because I was talking to her about a, 3 weeks ago or so and she's followed me through all my surgeries knows I don't have a colon and yeah the other day, I, I, just after Christmas, I was on the phone with her and she said, you're going to really hate me for saying this. And I said, what? And she goes, I didn't know you didn't have a colon. And I'm like, what? Right. She had no idea. Yeah. I, ended up, I ended up like pulling up a picture and sending it. We were FaceTiming and I sent it to her and I showed her exactly what was removed and what what was fashioned and, yeah. and and uh, I was telling my mom about it the next day. I wrote an email to my employer. It, I said, you know what? I think we were, yeah. my friend, I said, I think we were meant to have this conversation. Because if you, who yeah. has been with me through this entire process for 17 years, did not understand what my insights look like,
1: yeah. it is
0: no wonder that my employer, the insurance company, right. I, yeah. you know, they some of my physicians, it's no wonder they don't understand. Yeah. So yeah. I hung up the phone with her, and I wrote a long letter explaining exactly what my surgeries were. Added photos, sent yeah. it to BC Nurses Union, sent it to Canada Life, to the insurance company, and I was telling my yeah. mom about it the, the next day, and she said, "Suzanne, do you mind sending me your email because I've tried well, to, I've tried to un- explain to family members
1: yeah. what exactly
0: you've yeah. been through and." She understands it. She has enough knowledge yeah. of human anatomy and stuff. My mother understands it. Yeah. But she's like, I have yeah. tried to explain to family members what you've been through and they don't get it.
1: Yeah. yeah. So i well, they know right. after yeah. her
0: as well. And I'm like, you know what? People know what an ileostomy is. You know, they say, yeah. hey, oh, well, Uncle Frank has, has a bag on his belly. You know what I mean? But you yeah. say to somebody, well, yeah. you know, you have a J pouch and they look at you.
1: Like, what on earth? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I ask people, I've got a JPAP. So do you know what that is? And they're like, oh, yeah. And you just take it at face value that they know what you're talking about, but maybe they're like, I've got absolutely no idea what he's talking about, but I'll just nod along and pretend because I don't want to be the person who admits that they don't know what this thing is or something like that. So I must admit, I did have a moment at work on Monday when uh, somebody asked me you know how am I doing and I was like oh now yeah, what do I say do I you know just say I'm doing okay or do I spend the next half hour actually telling them how I <laughs> how right. I feel and what what's going what what I'm going through at the moment right because that's a whole different conversation so my immediate uh, supervisors know a little bit they know that I've been off work obviously but it's only really my boss who knows the, the ins and outs of what's uh, going on and I I was thinking the other day like a Do I sit down with the people at work and just tell them, like, question and answer session? Like, I really don't know how to best broach this subject with the people at work. So that, A, I'm not trying to push any kind of agenda on them, that I'm not, you know, treating them with any kind of disdain that, well, they, of course, don't know what I'm uh, talking about. You don't know what's going on in other people's lives. They might know exactly why. They might have relatives who've got this so to broach the subject with you know, respect and compassion and understanding in a work environment I think is quite tough because what information do you dis- disclose what information should you not disclose you know I'm uh, I'm pretty open I don't mind telling people exactly what's going on but I don't know if that is necessarily suitable to talk about in a workplace but i also don't want to be in that position where nobody knows what's going on because i don't think that's fair either it's quite a delicate topic to broach uh, at work i don't know maybe an email is a good idea and and well done for 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 sending it
0: i do feel that they just didn't understand kind of opened my eyes to the fact that like you said to somebody well well, i have a j pouch and they kind of went do you know what that is yeah i feel like a lot of people assume it's an ostomy they hear j pouch and they just think you have a bag on your belly
1: i also find like it's having a broad understanding somebody might know what a colostomy is or what an ileostomy is i certainly until i went down this road i i knew what a an, an ostomy was or a colostomy but i had no idea that there was different types that colostomies could be you know from one end of your colon all the way to the other end of the colon i didn't know what an ileostomy was i didn't know that was a thing Certainly didn't know about the, the issues associated with an ileostomy, with fatigue and hydration and nutrition and like all the other stuff. And then whether it's somebody else, even with short bowel syndrome, where they've had some of their small intestine or their stomach taken away or urinary uh, ostomies as well. Like all of a sudden there's this other complete other medical world that's that's opened up that might have a passing knowledge of that it's there. But really when you get to kind of the deeper, a deeper delve, it's all of a sudden the problems that are associated with this or the complications that are associated with it, or there's the daily living with a with an ostomy, the daily living with a J Pouch and how you manage your day or how you get through your day and the challenges, the different challenges that are presented. It's a lot. And to to somebody who doesn't need to know, why would they? Like it's it's a pretty niche part of the medical world. So unless you've been exposed to it, why would you know, I guess for a better way of putting it. Yeah.
0: yes well maybe you can just send the link to this
1: podcast to your workmates well I will do and I when I wrote that article I put that on Facebook and mm-hmm. put various other posts on Facebook now ultimately whether somebody then chooses to click on it and read it is their choice maybe you know two three four people might have done yeah All steps but at least they took the time to to read it and now I'm back at work I'll maybe I'll make that article available at work and if instead of come kind out of having that conversation with somebody just if you want to know more about what's going on then i can send you this link so i'm not forcing my opinion on people unless they want to know or something like that so yes. and, and certainly you know i'll give the link to this podcast as well and whatnot so i also think it's good for other ostomates other other people with j pouches right like every, i'm encouraged and frustrated almost equally that everybody's journey seems to be slightly different that we have this common this common ground, whether it's a, a colostomy or an ileostomy or a J-pouch or whatever. And yet, everybody's journey seems to be slightly different. Everybody's tolerance to a certain food seems to be slightly different. Everybody's level of fatigue seems to be slightly different. Everybody's levels of hydration seem to be slightly different. You know, there are not that many common areas where you can say definitively, right, I've got a, a J-pouch, so this is the road. Or I have a ileostomy, so... That's the road. Everything, everybody seems to be slightly different, which is, as I said, frustrating because you never really know how you're going to be. But kind of reassuring because it also means that, well, this is, you know, my journey. This is my road. And just because I haven't been able to go to work for two years, the person sat next to me might have been able to go to work six weeks after surgery or I've been able to go and play golf or go sailing or go skiing or whatever. Um, And so I've been able to do that. But unfortunately, the person over there, they haven't for whatever okay. reason. So I find these podcasts and the support groups, whether, you know, the Facebook support groups or the local support groups here in Canada and Calgary specifically, to be really quite useful because to me, it it allows me to understand that, you know, everybody's got their own story. Everybody's got their own way of dealing with things. Everybody's got their own things going on around them in their life, which is also playing out as to how they're dealing with their particular thing, whether it's an ostomy or a, or a J pouch or, or whatever. So I find that reassuring i find it frustrating but i find it uh, reassuring as well
0: yes absolutely well i appreciate you taking time to talk with me today i would be really interested in following your journey back to work if you are into that so absolutely stay in touch with me and we'll have you on again
1: yeah absolutely well thanks for having me and hopefully i haven't muffled on too much and there's value into the stuff that i've said and i would be yeah it'd be a pleasure to come back on and uh, be updated in the in the future and uh, see where the next six months or a year take me because it's uh yeah it's it'll it'll be interesting and that's for sure
0: yes you're you're still early in the game so like i said be kind to yourself and give yourself space and you'll know when you're able to move forward
1: and yeah well thank you very much i appreciate those those kind words of encouragement thank you
0: and then you're
1: going to be able to do it. And then you're going to be able to do it.